technology making us lonely, stressed out, insecure, narcissistic? Maybe coronavirus is doing that? Welcome to Tech First. My name is John Kutsir. Today, we're chatting with futurist Nick Badminton and researcher Nick Black, Nick and Nick. They've recently compiled a major study, surveyed more than 2,000 people, and they focus on the technology that we use, the impacts it has on us, and how we see the future. So this is Tech First, which John gets here. Let's dive right in. Hello, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi. I think this is the first time I've ever interviewed two Nicks and possibly <laughs> the first time I ever interviewed two people with the same name. So welcome. It's good to be here, John. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Excellent. Also two Nicks with uh, accents. So. I yeah, know. Exactly. I know. One is English. Which is What is the other one? Australian. Australian. Okay. I, I, I kind of suck at knowing which is which, so apologies <laughs> for that. I want to start off with uh, Mr. Black. Um, talk to me a little bit about the genesis of the study. Uh, what were you trying to do? Why did you kick it off? And, and what, did you, what were you studying? Yeah. So Nick and I got together towards the end of 2019 and we're looking at uh, 2020. And we were really interested in exploring uh, what was going on in society across the States, across America, um, and also for individuals, what was going on with self. So the, the generation of the study was really looking at those two components, self and society, uh, things like mental health, things like senses of loneliness, identity, as well as tech usage and how these sort of things were intersecting across Americans uh, in general. Cool. And so you run an agency, a research agency, right? Were you in this for a client? Is it just for your own interest or what's going on there? Yeah, this is self-funded with, with myself and Nick. We both funded the study together. Um, uh, we do a lot of research in things like health and technology. They're clients that we work with regularly. But this one was something we wanted to do for ourselves uh, to really explore these sort of as a pet project. Awesome. And Nick uh, Badminton, in this case, you obviously are super interested in where people are and where they're going. What was your interest in this study? Yeah, for, for me, I was sort of really wondering, you know, we, we're sort of a couple of decades into into this this internet age and this new promise of, of connection in the new world. And, and really where we were going to end up in terms of are we are we better? Are we worse? What's our trajectory towards the future? How are things changing? Interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks so much for starting that off, kicking us off there. Let's dive into what you found. You learned something about technology and stress, and I, I kind of cracked a bit of a joke off the top. I mean, if we're not stressed enough right now with coronavirus and all the closures and everything that's going on right there, technology itself has been sort of causing some of that. What did you learn there? Yeah, so from a data perspective, we were looking at different age groups. Um, in particular, 16 to 29-year-old Americans were reporting really significantly higher levels of stress in a lot of realms of their life, um, particularly work and money. Um, you know, if we're looking at money and finances, almost 50% of those younger Americans, 16 to 29-year-olds, were reporting uh, stress on an everyday or most day kind of basis. Similarly with work, that was also getting up quite high there at about 43%. And then also, interestingly, another realm of stress which was emerging for these younger Americans in particular were online interactions, with almost a third saying they were stressed by these interactions on, on a daily basis, which is, is quite high as well. So what's the impact of our devices on this? Um, is it changing because of how we're using our smartphones? Nick? Nick, you're talking and your mouth is moving, but uh, no words are coming out. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, sorry, I just lost my headphones there. So <laughs> you can just repeat that, John, sorry. 
It's all good. Did you hear uh, Nick Black's question? I mean, I, or his referral of the question to you? I was asking, what's the impact of smartphones on on uh, that that sense of stress uh, that Nick was talking about? Yeah, you know, it, it's that constant reminder that there's something in our pocket. Back in the day, you know, you used to have BlackBerry with the little flashing light on top that would always remind us that it was there, right? And now it's, it's a constant buzzing, uh, the alertness that we have to have. You know, notifications are probably one of the biggest melee of the modern society. Everyone needs to know what you are up to who, like where you are, who you're with, and, and really what your status is. And, and you feel compelled to be dragged into this algorithm that, that's really drawing you into this attention economy. So the smartphone is that, that sort of that portal into this world of stress, of isolation, or, and really it's exacerbating that feeling of, of needing to present ourselves in a way that, that is, is perfect and ideal. And that's what I think is leading us into this narcissistic world. Well, it's super interesting because, you know, we, we, we've never had more technology. We've never been more connected with people, but you found high levels of loneliness and stress, uh, sorry, loneliness and isolation. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we were using two validated academic scales there, looking at um, reports on a sense of loneliness within the population, as well as um, sort of uh, insecurity and, and whether or not you feel insecure with others. And with the loneliness in particular, yeah, again, if we're looking at that generational divide, 16 to 29 versus almost a 60 plus, at the 60 plus level, they're just not feeling as lonely, as isolated from other people. They do have this sense of connection that they're reporting there. But then when you're looking at the uh, 16 to 29 year olds in particular, you know, you're talking 44 to 50% of them reporting senses of isolation, loneliness. It's really sort of almost an epidemic level there of loneliness that we're seeing with younger people. It, it, just to add to that as well, it almost seems like the older generation came from human communities, whereas the younger generation were born <laughs> into the internet age and online communities, right? And that, that clear difference in definition has basically you know, added to this situation. The other interesting thing as well there is that, you know, it's not just youth 16 to 29. You move into the next age band, 30 to 44, which is, you know, middle age by a lot of measures. Those people are reporting almost the same levels of loneliness as a 16 to 29 year old. So it's almost anyone who has a, a greater degree of reliance on technology at that sort of 45 and under, which is showing these much higher spikes in loneliness. The, one of the other things that you saw was that young people report much higher levels of social insecurity. I guess that's related as well. It's possibly related, yeah. I mean, if we're looking at insecurity here, we used a scale that um, is, is based on attachment, the idea of insecure attachment. So it's a sense of insecurity in the way you relate to the people around you, your close kind of human connections. And yeah, we're seeing here a sense that almost 50% of 16 to 29 year olds saying that they worry that people will judge them. Um, also worrying that people don't care about them. And then also on the more extreme end of the spectrum, 40% um, saying they worry that other people will hurt them, um, you know, whether that's physically or emotionally or on a regular basis, which is really quite, it's quite extreme there, some of those things that we're, we're looking at. Wow, wow, interesting. You looked at narcissism as well. And of course, this is the selfie generation, right? Um, so we, we see a lot of that, but you actually caught a lot of young people self-reporting as narcissistic. That's interesting to me. I mean, because typically we consider narcissism not a great thing, not a wonderful thing, not a socially redeeming quality. And yet a lot of people say, yeah, they self-identify as I'm narcissistic. 
Yeah, this is quite an interesting measure, and I'll pass to Nick in a sec to talk about what might be the reasons behind it. But if we're looking at narcissism, it's quite a difficult thing to diagnose. You often have to use a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and there's very long sort of forms you've got to go through. We just used a very simple measure, which was a self-identification. And some psychologists have found that actually narcissists tend to admit that they're narcissists at a much higher rate than everyone else. So we asked them, you know, to what degree do you agree with the statement saying, I'm a narcissist, e.g., you know, self-absorbed? Um, vain. And we found, yeah, almost uh, almost a third, so up at 30% of those 16 to 29-year-olds self-identifying here as narcissists, compared to, again, 5% of the 60-plus range. So it's really very, very high and, and quite concerning. And maybe Nick can speak a little bit about why that might be. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are other studies that talk about the aspirations of American youth. And then uh, there was one particular study, I think it was actually run by Lego, and, and they actually found that the number one occupation that American youth wanted to to have was YouTuber, which is ultimately it's like the ultimate narcissistic holding a camera in front of your face, like, hey guys, blah, 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 like talking to a camera, not talking to anyone. Nick, what are you saying about me? What oh, are you no. saying about me? But Come this on. Is it, right? Well, the thing is, if it was just you talking to yourself on the camera, I'd kind of be a little bit worried about having this conversation. What was really interesting is I, it was Lego, I think, actually found that on the flip side, you look to China. The number one occupation that kids wanted to be was an astronaut. And I think that was number four or five in, in the US. The, the aspirations have been flipped on their heads. And, you know, you're, you're seeing these influencers that are suddenly earning like 10, 20 million dollars a year. I think the, the the biggest paid YouTuber in the world is like eight years old and makes about 16, 18 million dollars a year. So it, it's dragging people down economically into this ideal that, Suddenly, this phone, the, the, these cameras, this identity, this sense of um, look at me, look at me is going to lead themselves out of their current situation. One other thing that I'd add there as well that's a possibility is, you know, the idea that you're going to rely totally on yourself and just focus on yourself versus falling into the safety net of society, community, the things around you. I think also possibly what could be contributing to this is for this younger generation, just a sense that, listen, there is this it's unstable work, it's unstable society, it's unstable politics. The only thing I can rely on is myself. So I'm gonna make myself this kind of almost omnipotent God-like kind of thing that doesn't rely on anyone for my income, doesn't rely on anyone for love, for attachment, any of those sorts of things. It's also a possibility though. Wow. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to work out for anybody, but you also talk about this concept of digital obesity. Um, and I, I think when anybody hears that these days, when they're fairly technological, they probably have some idea what that means. But can you d dive into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So what we were very interested in looking at here was obviously we've seen the, some of these challenges emerging, particularly for younger people. And we were looking for what could be something that's contributing to this. So we looked at the amount of minutes that people were spending in uh, online apps, um, social media. So, for example, you know, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then we looked at the association between those amount of minutes that people were spending in these platforms and then their mental health. And we found, again, if people were spending over four hours online uh, in any of these sort of social media or apps, um, then there was a quite a significant spike in their rates of depression, narcissism, and anxiety. And so we'd say look, there seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a problem here with being behind these sort of gated applications and what it's doing to people's mental health. And I guess the real challenge here is that on average, Americans were spending 300 minutes or actually five hours in apps and, and online platforms in general. So they're already one hour above that kind of cut point where we're seeing a lot of these spikes in risk. 
It's well, really interesting that you mentioned that because yeah. I was just um, interviewing a VP from Hootsuite and they did a major digital 2020 study and we talked about it and there was a country and I forget, I'll put it in the article that I write for Forbes about this, but there was a country that had like six hours on average or something like that in, in, in digital. It was insane. Uh, Nick, you wanted to add something to that, I think. Yeah, uh, what, what's really interesting about the, this idea of, of obesity, it, it's it's a constant craving, but it's fed by algorithms, right? So it's the, the devs and the, the people that are doing psychological studies about getting cause and effect. If we do this, then we're going to get people to share like that. But what's really interesting is the majority of time that people were spending online were in the Facebook family of applications. And close behind that was actually time spent on Amazon. So it, 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 it's not just social media. It, it's suddenly this, this <laughs> ecosystem has become social commerce. And, and then obviously you add things like, like YouTube and TikTok to this as well. It, it's, it's, it's become a perfect storm. And, and I, I honestly believe that we've become completely surrounded by the algorithms that are dragging us in deeper than ever before. And, and, and people feel, you know, the isolation and the stress to even partaking part of that as well and I, I sort of wonder over the next sort of 5 10 20 years what what long long range effects that's going to have overall on society familial units and, and relationships john you mentioned as well just before you know that some people were reporting up to six hours a day i mean in our study when we were looking at 16 to 29 year olds they were up on average at 8.5 hours a day wow it's like off the charts and i guess the other thing that i'd throw in around this concept or construct of obesity we use this analogy because you know in, in the 80s when obesity really started to become a bit of a thing across america there was this idea that you could see this epidemic was visible what the problem with what we're potentially seeing here with digital minutes and digital obesity is that it's largely invisible and even some of the ramifications um, are also invisible if you're looking at mental health outcomes or a sense of loneliness you can't see that and yet it is actually real, you know, and, and that's why we wanted to throw out this concept of, of obesity as, as an analogy for what, what could be going on here. I understand. I understand. So you found significant challenges. Um, and Nicholas, one of the things that you've prided yourself on as a futurist is, you know what, the future is not always dark um, and it's not always dystopian. Yeah. And there is a positive, good, uh, healthy future out there. What's the positive, healthy future here? Well, what's really interesting is we have to look to the application architects, the people that are building these platforms and, and really ask them to step up and, and, and recognize this kind of behavior, the negative uh, forces that it's having on society and to actually put mechanisms in place, not only to say, hey, careful, you're spending a lot of time on, on this platform in these certain ways we're concerned, but actually putting in me mechanisms that people can self-select themselves to have you know, moderate to even low amounts of usage on these platforms. There's an amount of self-policing, but also algorithmic policing so that we're not actually forcing people into these algorithmic traps that are really creating a psychological future that's not going to be good for society as a whole. That responsibility towards society has to come from like Facebook and YouTube and TikTok and all these people. But right now, all they want to do is harvest the, the, the largest amount of advertising revenue they can from those minutes online. And I think we need to change what those uh, what those metrics are, because the minutes online seems to be incredibly damaging for people. And I think if we're looking at the data and, you know, you can see this data online, we've published it. 
Um, we look at the, you know, there's less than an hour, hour to four hours and four hours and above. It's the four hours and above that you, your, your rates of spikes um, above the average really start to come in for depression, anxiety, narcissism. That one to four hours is sort of a sweet spot where you're basically no more or less likely than the average American um, to have anxiety, depression, narcissism. But then to be honest, it's less than an hour where you see the real benefits of, of this. It's people that are spending less than an hour a day on social media or online that are just way below in terms of the numbers for depression, anxiety, and narcissism. And you know, if, if there was a gold standard of where you might want to get to, I think it, it could be that less than an hour. Wow. Wow. Interesting. And uh, that seems probably almost impossible for those of us who are digital natives, right? I mean, right. Uh, I'm on my laptop or my phone a lot of time. I don't even want to count the hours. Um, it's yeah. probably way too much. Most of it is work related or talking to people like you or writing or other things like that. But there's, yeah, there's some TikTok time there too. <laughs> and and, and what, what, I, what I find really interesting is, uh, you know, we're, we're in this age of the pandemic, you know. The yes, we are. The, the pandemic, the infodemic, the, the the constant feed of news. We have to know what's going on. And it's dragging us even deeper into a situation. I mean, what is it like? You're Google, I think Slack recently mentioned they're they're all going completely remote. A lot of different companies. I mean, there are school systems that are closing down around the world and in down in the States as well. And and I I think we're forcing ourselves into an online ecosystem, but I, I think we need to really recognize that there's productivity applications and then there's like, you know, wasting time applications, you know, things that aren't necessarily even useful from a communication perspective. So I don't think we can say, you know, verbatim that online is bad, but social algorithmically driven connection based kind of applications that drag you deeper into content connections liking loving and and you are you're literally getting obese at the end of the day from from the amount of like neuronal connections that you're getting through an algorithm that that suddenly the dopamine has, has got you and i don't think you get the same kind of dopamine hit from say writing a 1500 word article, right, John? <laughs> that, that, that may, may not be true, although it is good <laughs> to finish things and it feels good. That's really interesting, the comment that you just made and it kind of brings it back full circle. I mentioned coronavirus right off the top and what is one of the phrases that is the phrase of early 2020? It's social distancing, right? Mm -hmm. Social distancing, right? I mean, we, is... we're, we, we need space between us so that we don't infect each other is the idea is thinking and there's reality to that. And that space between us is driving us more to our digital digital devices. I was watching something from China last night. And the, the gaming there is off the roof. I interviewed James Wren, who's a sales executive in Beijing about two weeks ago, and he left his house once every three days once every three days um, to get groceries and other stuff. Other than that, oh, he would he would leave his house half an hour each day to walk his dog, and that was it. Wasn't seeing family, wasn't seeing friends, wasn't going to the office, and he was online the entire day. Uh, so gaming is off the off the charts in China. Schools are closed. We're seeing that in probably 80 countries right now, right. probably coming soon to Canada, certainly happening in some places in the U.S. Um, this is a real challenge. One thing that I'd maybe add to that narrative too, because I think certainly it has a risk of perpetuating the sense of isolation, loneliness that youth are feeling. But the other thing too is that in order to kind of curtail the pandemic, a lot of the discussion is around the need for younger people to isolate in particular, um, because there's, there's less of a risk to them with health. 
um, but they're also much more socially active. I think one of the challenges here that you're seeing, certainly with our data, is these are the same people that are reporting off the charts level of stress with their finances and work anyway. It's already almost at 50% for, for those youth. Now we're going to expect these people to potentially not go to work, to self-isolate. This is a real challenge for this generation because they're already dealing with probably quite insecure work. Uh, often they're the ones that are kind of in this gig economy. What does it mean dropping out of a gig economy when you've got no other source of income and you're already under financial pressure? Is that even possible for a lot of these younger people? So I think this is going to be quite an interesting intersection here where you're seeing life and financial stress occurring for younger people and the demands that are being placed on them um, might not be feasible for them. Yeah, it's super challenging times um, and it's not going to get easier. It's going to get worse. I mean, everything, it's cancel culture right now, right? And so we're, we're hunkering down at home. We're, we're battening down the hatches. We're loading up with food and apparently toilet paper because that's essential. <laughs> but uh, wow. Anyways, I want to thank you guys for being on the show today and want to thank you for your insights and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. For everybody else who's joining us, thank you for joining me on Tech First. My name, again, is John Kutsier. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Whatever platform you're on, please like, subscribe, share, comment, or all of the above. If you're listening to the podcast a little later on, please rate it and review it. That'd be a massive help. Thank you so much. Until next time, this is John Kutsier with Tech First. <laughs>